Welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched The Battle of Algiers. In the 1950s, fear and violence escalate as the people of Algiers fight for independence from the French government. Mm. We had to watch a movie with some subtitles this time. Ooh, subtitles. I like subtitles. Like, I'm not against. This is a fascinating movie that mm-hmm. still holds up remarkably well but is so unique in movie making. Mm-hmm. And I was worried about this one. I, as I said before, this was in my I have to watch important movies phase. <laughs> and I watched it based on the style that it purported to do because it's world famous for the style it used to... It, it's it's famous because of the style that they used to make it mm-hmm. and the the decisions they made and how they were going to portray the story. Okay. However, you come away from it being really transformed with a huge, strong message about colonialism. Uh, Yes. And how it does not work ever. No. But I was I was a little hesitant. I was I was hesitant about this one. I figured, you know, it's a cool movie. It's it's a very historical movie, but I didn't know how you would feel about it. Mm -hmm. Because This is not your typical kind of movie. That that totally fair. Oh no! I mean, I'm not against films that are subtitles. I'm definitely not against like historical films. I tend to be not super into war films, as I've discussed several times on this podcast. But when you give me um, a different perspective, like I don't, I don't want to watch a war film where it's just this side murders that side murders that side like I want to like I want to follow a character or a particular group of people who are dealing with this set of circumstances that happens to take place in the war this is a war I knew nothing about I I I didn't know anything about what is portrayed in this film so for me that was very interesting and then also the way it's presented is almost documentary style which is also very unusual so that also adds a layer of interest for me. I know. The war movie part of it, I think, was what was scaring me off. It was like, oh, I don't know if she's going to enjoy this. Yeah. And I also, and I was also worried, like, it's going to feel boring because it's presented in, with that documentary style. Mm-hmm. But what's masterful is that our, our director specifically is shooting a narrative because it is an actual narrative story. He's just using that style to pack a bigger punch. And it's not that he's, you know, trying to recreate some historical document. He's just trying to give you enough of the feel of you being in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. Right. I mean, it, this is a classic, again, because it employs a cinema verite pseudo documentary style. That's to its credit, I think. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. Especially when you are dealing with a war in which I feel like most people outside of North Africa and France really had little context for. When this movie comes out, the US has just started to step into Vietnam. Mm -hmm. It takes the world stage. By the way, I would call this France's Vietnam War, except for the fact that they also were involved with Vietnam as a colony. (laughs) Okay. Right around the same time as this bullshit. Mm -hmm. But what's interesting is that in France, this movie's incendiary. 
because this war is the end of the French Empire. Mm -hmm. You know, the resulting revolution and the eventual defeat of the French colonizers is what spurs all of the different African colonies to rebel, which France owns a huge swath. And, and that gets into our history a bit, and we'll, we'll detail all that out. Mm -hmm. This is a pivotal moment in their timeline, but I don't know that the world in that moment knew all that much about it. Mm -hmm. And what's so smart is that our filmmakers, who very clearly want to make a point, put us in the middle of the story so that we would also feel the empathy for that situation. Mm -hmm. And not only empathy for the colonized, which we clearly side with, but at least a measure of understanding of the colonizers as well. Like there's a real fascinating tug of war where they really do try to humanize the colonizers, even as they're doing these horrible things, because you at least get their motives. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I sympathize with the colonizers, but they do a good job of presenting their rationalization. Exactly. I don't think that makes them look sympathetic. Not sympathetic. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, they're not sympathetic. I don't think it tries to, like, yes and it. I think it's just, like, this is their argument. Like, this is why they think what they're doing is totally justified. It's mm -hmm. not. But this is, this is, the, this is who, how we're arguing. This is what we're arguing against. And I think that's important in these types of films because it, it, it's wrong. Just, like, there's, just, <laughs> there's no justification for it. It's just wrong. So how do we combat that? Well... This is how they combated that. And we watched Missing for our 1982 mm -hmm. Oscar series, which was one of our favorite movies of that series. Yeah, it was really good. That movie is dealing with a different power dynamic. Sure. It's, it's colonialism by proxy. Sure. Like co colonialism is like happening there. Like we know it, it's, it's in the background and it's the subtext of a lot of things, but it's not the focus. It's not so starkly put in front of you as it is in this movie. Mm -hmm. And this just very much says you have a side of people who have lived here their entire lives, uh, a group of people who have lived here for thousands and thousands of years, and you have the French. Mm -hmm. And at no point do the French try to rule with any understanding for that culture. Mm -hmm. And that is what dooms them. I love the fact that the characters that we're involved with don't succeed, but that's not the point. And that's not the story of the Algerian War. No, these characters did not eventually foment the revolution they were hoping to start. They didn't live to see the end of it, but it did happen. Because the French eventually, in their brutality, were not going to be able to sustain that anymore. And that is the tried and true wisdom of every colonial project ever. You cannot continue to repress people in this manner and expect to hold on to power. It just doesn't mm. work. And that, I think, is, is the, the lasting part of this. But even more than that, the movie has a legacy well beyond just its message. So the budget for this movie was $807,000, which is around $7 million in today's money. And it made $880,000, about $8 million. And that's just in the U.S., now, this is an incendiary film. Mm -hmm. It's one of the earliest large-scale productions to use a pseudo-documentary style in this way. There are examples of like shorter films or TV documentaries which kind of employ this style, but this is one of the first feature-length films that's on an actual big stage that says, we're going to do this whole thing like this. Mm -hmm. 
and it was released in the U.S. with a disclaimer that not a single foot of newsreel was used in making the film. And I believe that. None of this is stock footage. They created all of this whole cloth. Really? On site. Yes. I mean... Like on the one hand, like I can I can tell it's not a documentary. Like you can tell that, but just to be like everything here was created is still fascinating. Yeah. Now the way it was created lent it to feel so real because of how it was cast, how it was put together, how it was filmed and edited. But it was all done with people in Algiers, and that's how they did it. Mm-hmm. It is widely regarded as one of the most historically accurate films ever made. So accurate, in fact, that the Pentagon reportedly screened the film in 2003 for officers and civilian experts preparing for the Iraq War. The flyer to the screening reportedly read, quote, how to win a battle against terrorism and lose the war of ideas, unquote. And what did we wind up doing in Iraq? Um, no comment. I mean, it can be really challenging to say that, but when you look at America's ventures into lengthy wars in other countries, sure, the parallels are just the same. And it's because everybody forgets how you're supposed to do this. If you actually want to intervene militarily, it's got to be on the terms of the people you are going in to supposedly help. Mm-hmm. That is the only way to do it. And the U.S. has a long tried and true strategy of never listening to the people that they invade, ever. And it's, it's fascinating because people will show this film. Militaries and police forces screen this film regularly as an account of what urban guerrilla warfare and insurgent terrorism is, how it works, how the mechanics work. They use this film to help strategize. They don't necessarily take the right point away from it, but it is so it is considered so accurate that they are willing to use it almost as a textbook Mm -hmm. because it very accurately depicts the strategies of the Algerians within this war. Mm. Christopher Nolan has cited this as an influence for both The Dark Knight and Dunkirk. And when you think about some of those like really intense in the moment things, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. It is also a film favorite of some less than savory characters in our history. Andreas Bader, one of the most famous German leftist terrorists in the 1970s, claimed this as his favorite film. Mm-hmm. And the Weathermen, the notorious terrorist group of the Students for a Democratic Society, viewed the film in October 1969 in preparation for the Days of Rage, four-day series of violent acts in Chicago. It, w- it was an attempt to spur mass action towards ending the Vietnam War. Okay. This is a playbook as much as it is a movie at least Mm -hmm. to a lot of people who are strategizing for how to gain power. Mm. But I think the message of the movie is way bigger. (laughs) Sure. Let's talk about our writers. Now, this is an Italian film, so I'm not going to have a whole lot to talk about for you here. Okay. Though I'm going to name some movies here, and and if you're a big fan of European cinema, you'll know some of these people. The story and the screenplay were written by a gentleman named Franco Solinas. He worked with some of the most famous writers and directors, including our director for this film, Costa Gavras, who did Missing, and then he adapted a film out of a novel by Pier Paolo Pasolini, a very famous Italian director before this generation. So really widely regarded. Before this, he wrote the films Beautiful but Dangerous, The Wide Blue Road, The Love Specialist, The Savage Innocence, 
Capo, the Betrayer, Madame, and Salvatore Giuliano. After this, a bullet for the general, Burn, State of Siege, Il Sospetto, Mr. Klein, and Hannah Kay. And then getting a story credit is our director, Gio Pontecorvo. He worked on the story for a lot of his films, so we do the rough sketches, but he hired a screenwriter to come in and do the rest of the parts. Mm-hmm. What do we think of the writing of this film? So I have to kind of look at it in the same way with the directing. And I'm so I'm so curious if it was written to be filmed this way. Yes. Okay. Okay. Because I have to know that in order to like separate them in my mind. Because this writing is genius. And the, <laughs> and the directing of this type of writing is genius. And so I, yeah, I had to have that piece of information. Even if it wasn't written this way, like for this particular directing style to then choose to to direct this this way is genius. Like, I love it. It's so well done. The The fact that the most of the story is actually told as a flashback mm-hmm. is so unexpected when you're presented with this style of filmmaking and i was like what what are we doing oh okay and i was i was very engaged with this film at no point did i get bored and that's to do with the writing like it's very solid and the fact that i could not tell you who any of the characters are i didn't care like i recognize their faces and i'm following them i'm reading all of the subtitles and i'm following it it makes sense like i get it that's a really high bar to pass on a story like this and they did it it's an it does an incredible job of establishing mm-hmm. all of its characters without feeling like it's having to pander to you at all it, it explains your main players just in the natural course of how things happen mm-hmm. and you spend enough time with each person you don't ever get the show it on screen show the person's name and all the things they've done that doesn't that doesn't ever happen <laughs> Reminds me a little bit of Apocalypse Now, though Apocalypse mm-hmm. Now like takes a lot longer because it's more of like a, a poetic journey type thing. Mm-hmm. But the characters are never explicitly explained to you. You just meet them and then you get to know them. This movie does that same thing, but it does it in an hour 45, which is wild to think that it moves that quickly. Mm-hmm. And it does it in a style where The way it's filmed, you feel like you're supposed to know who all these people are already, yet the writing gives you everything you need to know. Mm -hmm. And I think part of it is getting at the bigger message that you should know who these people are for the sake of the story, but you don't need to know every single thing about them because they're not the bigger picture. And I think they make that clear, especially with with the Algerians, Mm -hmm. who it's like, we as individuals are not more important than the cause. The cause is what's the focus of this story, Hmm. which is why at the end of the movie, we're not faced with Ali and Jafar. We're faced with the masses finally taking power and independence for themselves, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. It's so cool to end the movie that way where you go, yes, there was a lot of tragedy, but look at how it ends. Mm -hmm. They cannot hold you down forever. And like that, that I think is there's so much packed into just this little package of writing. There's, it's such a dense movie, despite being really easy to watch. It's wild to think that. Mm-hmm. So it, it's masterful. And again, because the director was involved with setting up the story elements, all the, the dialogue flourishes are what you get from the screenplay and some of the imagery. But it, it's, it's all part of a cohesive vision. Mm. 
And I think that's really important to a movie like this when you're really going to break a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good shit, y'all. <laughs> well, let's talk about this history. And again, this is accurate. This is a thoroughly accurate movie. I don't need to give you details on, on too many things that they might have switched. There are a few little things here and there. But I do want to just give a primer to anybody who sees this of what the Algerian War was. Okay. And what it meant. So the Algerian War lasted from November 1954 to March 1962. And when we're in this movie, we're kind of in that first four years of it, right? We start in 54 when we meet Ali, and then he gets killed around 58. The war was started by the FLN, the Front de Liberation Nationale, the Algerian independence group, after the brutal colonial suppression of their movements for independence. Now, this was a key moment in African decolonization, especially after World War II. So when I looked at the map, France colonized most of North and like Middle Western Africa. So a lot of Morocco, Algiers, Tunisia, places like that. This was the first country to fall that began this sort of chain reaction of all the other countries falling around it out of their empire. And the British... They colonized a whole bunch of the other side of Africa, so it was kind of split half and half between the two empires. The other wild thing about this is that it led to the failure of the Fourth French Republic Hmm. and began the right-wing Fifth Republic. So in 1958, the right-wing leaders in the French army, led by General Jacques Massou, seized power in Algiers on their own without orders. And they threatened an assault on Paris with paratroopers and armed forces at Rambouillet unless Charles de Gaulle was put in power of France. Okay. They were like five seconds away from a coup. De Gaulle was installed and he took over under the condition that a new constitution be introduced to shift most of the balance of French power to the presidency in which a sole executive would rule for seven year periods. That gives birth to the French Fifth Republic which we still have to this day. The riots in 1968 attempted to establish the Sixth Republic, but they were not successful. Those were left-wing protests. And France is very, very famous for going through way too many republics to count. Now, Jacques Massou, that right-wing leader, is the very loose basis for our Colonel Matthew, who is Mm. not a specific character, but he is an avatar for different military figures throughout the time in Algiers. The war was a precursor to both Vietnam and Iraq. It was an absolute failure to win hearts and minds. The brutality of torture and killings of Algerians led to the alienation of most of metropolitan France and the rest of the world. This got so bad that the entire world and the UN could not back them. Hmm. And we see it. I appreciate that they don't pull punches with those torture scenes. No. Now, all of it's simulated. So you're not seeing real torture, but it's really key and important. And while it is harrowing to watch, it's also crucial to how the world eventually went. This is bad. And we do some bad shit, y'all. Major demonstrations in 1960 in France, followed by a UN resolution recognizing the Algerian right to independence, led de Gaulle to open negotiations with the FLN. France's allies bailed on public support when the UN debate on Algerian independence happened. Even the US and England were like, we're not even touching it. Mm -hmm. They abstained, which for those two countries is a huge fucking deal (laughs) for them to just say, I don't even want to touch it. So in March 1962, they signed the Evian Accords, 
providing for ceasefire arrangements, prisoner releases, sovereignty, and self-determination for Algeria, with guarantees of protection, non-discrimination, and property rights for Algerian citizens. Mm -hmm. Now, France didn't do this because they liked Algeria suddenly. They wanted to maintain their French oil reserves and industrial and commercial primacy in the region. Mm -hmm. Algeria did keep contact with the French government for infrastructure. And really the fascinating part here and why colonialism doesn't work too, if you just want to look at it from a real cynical perspective, it's bad for business. Sure. Like, it's just never worth the cost to try to maintain the country. We talked about this when we watched Gandhi, where Gandhi's whole point was, we want to make it so annoying for them to have to stick around here that they finally just say, fine, leave us alone. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And that's really what it came down to. However, there was one big thorn within the accords, which was that, quote, Algeria concedes to France the use of certain air bases, terrain, sites, and military installations which are necessary to it, unquote. Hmm. So they still have their military installed there, because of course they do. Mm -hmm. The accords were advanced to the French electorate, who approved the accords in a 91% in favor. The public hated this war. Mm -hmm. On July 1st, Algeria held a second referendum with 6 million voting in favor and just 16,500 against. Wow. And on July 3rd, 1962, one day before our own Independence Day, Charles de Gaulle declared Algeria an independent country. Mm. This pissed off the right-wing army so bad that those shitheads tried to assassinate de Gaulle and continually tried to get military coups on the country of France. Hmm. Many of them were carried out by the OAS, a secret org formed from French military personnel supporting French Algeria. It was like their own little CIA that they made up for themselves. They committed numbers of bombings and murders in Algeria and in France during the independence drive. So the army couldn't get enough of what they already did. They had to keep going back in after the fact. Hmm. Okay. But Algeria became... A free country. While accurate, the film is purposely one-sided. It supports the fight for independence by the Algerians. And I say that because the filmmakers explicitly said that about the film. Mm -hmm. This film is to show the struggle and support the fight that they led for independence. And that is saying something, especially when they do not pull punches on showing them attacking civilians. Like, that is, that is one hard part about this movie mm -hmm. to reckon. Yeah. But it's very real, and it's very... It's something that has to be wrestled with. Sure. But it's also very, very, it's a very strong statement for the filmmakers to say, yes, we showed that and we still unequivocally support them. Mm -hmm. According to French government figures, there were 236,000 Algerian Muslims in the French army in 1962. Mm -hmm. Such loyalists were their families may have constituted nearly a million people in Algeria. They are not portrayed in the film. So that is one that is one area of criticism that's been lobbied at the movie. It wasn't so one-sided within the populace. Mm -hmm. The conflict was incredibly complicated. I mean, any war for independence is. Numbers of loyalist Algerians to the French government were subject to mobs, FLN murders, or abduction. And 90,000 loyalist Algerians left to get to France with help from French military officers who, again, were acting against orders. So it wasn't, it was a messy conflict. Messier than even what we see here. Matthew, of course, is based on General Jacques Massou, but also related to two different French officers, Colonel Marcel Bigard and Major Paul Assareses. Bigard was actually close and cordial to the political leader Ben Mahidi, 
And where the film suggests that Mahidi died by suicide, quote-unquote, which they state it was actually murder, Asares admitted fully that he personally executed Mahidi and staged it to look like suicide. Hmm. Asares, again, being a right-wing shithead, fully admitted to all his crimes and said, I, I don't see anything wrong with what I did. Jeez. Oh, yeah. His job was not convincing. Nobody believed that it was a suicide. Mm-hmm. Ali Lapointe was killed in an explosion committed by the French army, along with Ben Bouali and a child hiding with him, just like we see in the film. Alcaraz, however, claims that there is a detail left out of this movie, that the French found Ali because Yassef, who we will get to later, he revealed his hiding place. And Yassef, all I'll say is Yassef is a huge leader within the Algerian independence movement. Over a month elapsed between his quote-unquote confession and the discovery of Ali, so some people doubt it, but also it's entirely likely that they tortured him, and in torture, you admit to things. Which again, one of the genius things that we see in the movie is how they were organized, right? Oh, sure. That's one of the most brilliant parts of it. Yeah, no, it was brilliant on their part, and then the fact that they were able to crack it was also just nuts. But you just, you realize it was like, it was, su- it's such a simple way to organize a mm-hmm. resistance. Sure. And it takes so much effort mm-hmm. to defeat it. Mm-hmm. Again, it just comes back to, if, it, if you want to look at it from the most detached, cynical way possible, it's just not worth the effort. Like, just let them have their independence and it'd be a lot better off. France banned the film until 1971, and even then it is still rarely shown in the country. In the US and the UK, they removed the torture sequences, which again, while disturbing, are incredibly important. And if you want a sign of how good it was, it enraged legendary French fascist and National Front leader Jean-Marie Le Pen, who uh, served during the Algerian War. If it made him angry, it was probably true. And the beatings, electric shocks, and water tortures that he denied were openly admitted by Osiris's in his 2001 memoir. Mm-hmm. So, if a fascist thinks your movie's bad, your movie's great. Just oh, leave yeah. it at that. Mm-hmm. In any case, you know, the, the conflict was not as one-sided as we're seeing here, but we're also seeing it from a specific perspective. Regardless, the details are true. All of this stuff happened. It might not have been these specific characters, and there's a little bit of narrative crafting, mm-hmm. but because of the way it's filmed and because of the attention they wanted to give to the story, it's one of the most accurate depictions of history you're going to see on film unless you're watching a documentary. Hmm. And even then, some documentaries are edited so much that you're not getting the full picture. So it's, it's an incredibly accurate film of an incredibly important conflict that I think it sets by the wayside because of how huge some other things that were going on in the world at this time. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about our director. And we mentioned him before, the man Gio Pantecorvo. Now he was primarily a documentary director. Mm-hmm. So of course, that's why he chose the style. But he did, he did a few fiction films. Before this, he directed the fiction films The Wide Blue Road and Capo. And after this, he did the fiction films Burn and Ogro. That's it for his... You know, he does a whole bunch of other documentaries and short documentaries and things like that. But that's it for his stuff. What do we think of the directing of this movie? I mean, like I said, with the uh, writing, I think it's genius. It's such an unexpected way to portray this story. 
And I think it just serves the grassroots nature of these people and their organization so well. Like if you were to present me with a polished film, I I don't think the messaging of the resistance would have carried through as well as it did because it's gritty and it's hard and it's in your face and it also just fucking sucks to have to fight this type of fight and i think that is so amazing to be how you tell this message it's so it's so good it's just big big yays (laughs) from diana (laughs) you you just watch a movie like this and you're like how did you come up with this idea And how do you do this? How, yeah. do you, how do you sell this? And when I give some of the details further, then it just blows your mind even more of how he marshaled everything. Because to be perfectly honest, it's all him. Like mm-hmm. one of the most important decisions is that he cast almost exclusively non-actors. Love it. Everyone that is Algerian is not a trained actor. Mm-hmm. The only actual actor in the movie is the gentleman playing Colonel Matthew. Okay. And that makes sense because he wanted a professional actor. He wanted a weight and gravitas for that character that would immediately land with all of the other non-actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. But like the other care, everybody else was cast for their resemblance to the real life figures. Mm-hmm. He did not care about their acting skills whatsoever. And some of the people that we see are actual figures who fought for independence. The man executed in the prison scene had himself actually been sentenced to death during the insurgency. He understood the emotions of that moment. Mm-hmm. That's intense. He used careful lighting, staging, and camera angles and skillful and thoughtful directing to get the best out of them. So... Part of the reason, one of the interesting things that you watch when this movie is you see so many quick cuts, so many camera angles, so many changes. Mm -hmm. That's to not just keep the pace and the intensity. It's also to pull the best moments from his non-actors that he could and hide any moments that didn't land quite as well. Mm -hmm. It's all in how he put the final product together. So he's just grabbing what he can, finding the best image he can put in and then putting it into the movie. And it's wild because you see these non-actors and every once in a while, somebody's like, yeah, they're not really acting. But then after a moment, you think that you also go, yeah, but that works so much better for this moment. Mm-hmm. Like these guys having a discussion about what they're going to do. No, they're planning because they're in the middle of a fucking war zone. And the only way you can go is just think forward. Like you can't suddenly emote in the middle of that. No, <laughs> that's not going to work. You have to just like, okay, well, now we got to plan this battle and this person's coming and this is happening. And like, you know, all of it, it, he just, he, above all, he had the presence and vision mm-hmm. to marshal all of this and think through every part of this story. Mm-hmm. It's one of the most audacious, singular directing moments that we ever get. And that's above anything else. That's the thing that lasts about this movie is his directing of it. Because mm-hmm. it's just so unique. So we're pro. Very pro. <laughs> Pontecorvo also reshot scenes 20 different times on the regular and sometimes 30 to 40 times, 
Now, he didn't do the Kubrick wasting style, but he did film multiple times and multiple takes regularly to get his non-actors to appear genuinely tired and fatigued, especially in scenes requiring fear, exhaustion, and frustration. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I don't love this when you're working with actors and you're making them do 100 takes because you're looking for the perfect moment. Mm -hmm. I do, however, get the rationale of I am working with people who are not necessarily able to just act their way into that mindset mm-hmm. and I need them to feel it. So I'm just going to annoy them a bit <laughs> oh, and yeah. then we're going to get that on their face, which again is smart. And again, he would reshoot, but he'd only reshoot like 30 or 40 times. I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. There's a tactic involved. Mm-hmm. And while the crowd scenes look spontaneous, Pontecorvo had to use very careful planning to get them to look so huge. So he would draw chalk lines on the ground, dividing the extras into separate groups to walk on cue to get proper crowd movement for the camera. He would then put multiple cameras at different angles to then, through the editing, give the impression that the crowds were much, much larger than they really were. Mm. So it was all about angles and vision. This, this movie, above all, takes such a keen eye mm-hmm. for how you're going to put it so that when a person watches it, it tricks them into thinking that things are huger than they really are. Mm. That's so cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just, I love, I, I'm just imagining, I, you know, I love part of why we do this is I love learning about the behind the scenes stuff. I love that stuff. Um, yeah. I love the nuts and bolts of filmmaking. Um, to me, that's part of the magic. So it's just like I'm just imagining in my head, like as you're describing that, like how what that looks like for filming. And that's so cool. I love I it. would watch a straight documentary that is nothing but edited how sequences of nothing, no sound, mm-hmm. no sound, no narration, just edited sequences of him preparing scenes and filming it. Mm-hmm. That would be amazing to watch. Just how he's putting everything together and getting the pieces to work right for the scenes. Like it just that alone is so huge and it's everybody's doing a great job, but he is the only reason any of it can hold together as a finished Mm -hmm. product. Sure. And hold together so well as it does. All right, let's talk about our cast. We have two main characters and one Arpon. Okay. That I want to mention. First of all, we cannot go without our lead Algerian character, Brahim Hajaj, playing Ali Lapointe. Mm -hmm. This is his premiere performance. It's one of the few films he ever appeared in. His other big claim was that he played the Arab in the 1967 film version of Albert Camus' The Stranger. Okay. What do we think of Brahim Hajaj in this film? He's so good. Intensity. He's so committed to what he's doing. Yeah. And, and I mean, I could say that about literally everybody who is, who, who is an Algerian extra in this film. Like, down to the fucking extras. <laughs> Sure, but we we focus so much on him. We really do. And I cannot say that there's a moment where I'm like, he's acting. Or like, I don't, I'm not captivated by like what he's bringing. He's so good. Somehow, some way, he pulled that intensity and fire out of him. Mm -hmm. And some of it too is the look. Like his his whole, his face, his eyes are just so focused. Mm -hmm. But- you know, from the moment we meet him where you're like, he's just a street kid who's been jailed multiple times. Mm-hmm. 
And then he witnesses what's going on and he's like, fuck this. What am I doing? We could be free. Yeah. I don't have to do this. I could fight for something bigger. And he's just so dedicated to the cause to a fault. He gets called out for it multiple times, hmm. but he's, he's never wavering. And like, it just, again, this movie's dealing with such symbolism. He's such a perfect symbol of that intensity and will to keep going mm-hmm. <laughs> to the last minute. Just that last scene alone where they're sitting in that room with the tile and yeah. they're giving him every chance to leave. And not until the last possible minute does he say, all of you can go. Mm. And even then, his intensity and his focus and his will is what drives all of them to say no. And, you know, there's so much wrapped up in that, but he's so good at portraying it. <laughs> he really is. Our other main actor is Jean Martin playing Colonel Mathieu. He was a French character actor who appeared famously in The Day of the Jackal, but he's mostly done French film. What do we think of Jean Martin in this movie? Oh, he's great. And it makes complete sense that he would be the actor. It's interesting, too, because when you see the pictures of him, I I, I was looking up stuff and I saw the picture of him in his sunglasses and his beret as they march in. And you're immediately expecting like a young upstart. And then you're like, nah, this is like a 45, 50 year old dude. Yeah, with with some experience. Some experience, but also it's like, he's not a general, he's a colonel. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is he does the dirty work. Yeah. He brings a a bluntness to the role Mm -hmm. in the most fascinating way. Because he could overplay this, he could be too overzealous, and he's not. Hmm. He's not particularly caring. Hmm. He doesn't want to win hearts and minds. But he also knows that if he pushes too hard, like he's like, I have to fight a hard offensive and we have to end this mm-hmm. and it's not going to be pretty. But also, if I have a chance to show a little mercy, I'm going to do it because I'm not stupid. Well, he's not stupid. And then he knows like if he goes in with that type of force, he's going to lose some of his men, too. Yeah. So like, you know, and it also like if I give mercy here, it'll like give us some goodwill with the other people who have been working with us. Like it's a win-win at that point. But also like if I have to get dirty, I will. Yeah. The problem is, is there's no amount of winning hearts and minds that you can do. There's that scene where they, they've beaten all of the leaders, you know, they've, they've taken them in the street, roughed them up, tortured them, Mm -hmm. done all this stuff. Right. And then they walk out with a military band and hand out bread and they think, well, we're winning hearts and minds. Mm hmm. No, <laughs> no, they did not fall for it. No, no one's falling for it. It's like, thank you for the bread. Now get the fuck out of my country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's always that way. And I guess what's really great is that he does this amazing job of always, always focused on the strategy. He is never, he does not care about the people. He does not care about the individuals. He cares about the victory mm-hmm. and what the strategy is for victory. Mm-hmm. And he earns that victory but he doesn't realize at what cost. And it's telling that he's not there at the end. When we fast forward four years, Matthew is no longer in the picture because he did his job. He's gone. So it's, he's, he's great. And he's great at that subtlety, which is fascinating because apparently he and Pontecorvo were frequently at each other's throats. Pontecorvo had to constantly push him to rein in his acting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because he wanted to he wanted to do what he normally did. And it's like, you're around a bunch of people who don't act. Hmm. You've got to pull it back. So it took a lot for him to bring that very no-nonsense calmness to what he was doing. 
and that sort of cynicism. But once he nailed it, boy, did he nail it. Oh, yeah. Martine had actually been a signer of the 1960 Manifesto of 121 that supported Algerian independence. This included a number of figures on the French left and the New Wave film movement, including Francois Truffaut, Alain René, and Simone de Beauvoir. So many famous French leftist intellectuals signed this thing saying, hey, Algeria should be independent. And guess what? So did Jean Martin. (laughs) He was famous enough to use his weight for that. And at one point, the French counterinsurgency urges the rebels to surrender, claiming that the French officials were former resistance fighters and anti-Nazi. Because, of course, fascists would do that shit. Hmm. Now, while this may or may not have been true of everyone involved, Jean Martin definitely was a member of the French resistance. Okay. He was actively involved in undermining the Nazis during World War II. Hmm. So I don't think he took kindly to that insinuation by the French army. All right, we have one very important arpon, mm-hmm. and that is, and you will maybe remember this name from earlier, Yasef Sadi playing Jafar, the sort of leader of the FLN, the okay. elder leader guy. Okay. Now, Yasef is the guy that we talked about who may or may not have given up Ali's location. He was one of the real-life FLN leaders pushing for the liberation of Algeria. His book is what this movie is based on. Oh, okay. And he is in the film. He fought in the streets alongside Ali Lapointe. He was rumored to have been one of the reasons for Ali's killing, but he is in this movie. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is they put him in the role of the sort of ideological leader. He's the guy who will kind of rein things in when you need to pull back. He's the guy who pushes things further. He's the guy who stops the mob from getting them all all themselves killed and then Mm -hmm. says, we have a better way to do this and says, we're going to bomb three three civilian locations yeah which is such a hard thing but it's done with such smart nuance by the Mm -hmm. filmmakers to say the strategy is important because no nobody wants to have to do this but there has to be a point made of what they just did to us Mm -hmm. he's also just great in the movie he really is but he is like one of the key figures in algerian independence and there he is forever in film Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about awards. Awards, okay. This was nominated for Best Foreign Film in 1967 at the Oscars. And then it was nominated in 1969 for Best Director and Best Original Screenplay. Mm. The same year as 2001 A Space Odyssey. Wow. It's one of the few films in Oscars history that has been nominated in separate non-consecutive years. Hmm. I think that has to do with it was released in 66 in European cinemas, sure. I think it got a much bigger release in America later on. Sure, that makes sense. But it did win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, which we see in the opening credits of the film. Yes. That is Venice's equivalent of the Palme d'Or. Mm. This is a big fucking deal. Oh, yeah. Trivia. To diffuse the intense sunlight in Algeria, white sheets were hung over all of the locations, allowing better lighting for the film. Mm-hmm. Ingenious shit. You don't need, like, five baffles and a certain light on here. It's just like, well, we've got great sunlight. It's just too bright. Put some sheets over everything. That's so cool. For the house explosions, full-size buildings were erected in narrow streets from expanded polystyrene. They're just blowing up styrofoam. (laughs) I love that. But it's exquisitely detailed and painted Mm -hmm. styrofoam. Yeah. The house of Ali Lapointe, where he is killed in as it's destroyed, was reconstructed on the exact site of the former house where he lived. Wow. 
that's the level of detail they put into this movie. And there is an interesting relationship between Pontecorvo and his composer for this film, one Ennio Morricone, who had numerous disagreements over the score of the film. Hmm. At one point, Pontecorvo had a melody stuck in his head and he desperately wanted it used in the film. And Morricone was just not doing it. So at one point, he was going to Morricone's apartment to play the tune for him. And as he was headed up the stairs, he hummed it all the way up. Morricone, when he arrived, asked him to wait, saying he'd come up with his own tune and he wanted him to hear it. Then he played the exact tune in Pontecorvo's head. And Pontecorvo was so delighted that they finally found something to agree on. He, he just was effusive. They they'd had all these disagreements and we finally have a same vision. Months later, at the Venice Film Festival premiere, Morricone admitted he'd pulled a prank. He'd already heard Pontecorvo humming the tune and pretended to come up with it on his own. Hmm. <laughs> That's cool. Just a fun little Morricone prank. By the way, the the score for this movie is so good. It, it's it is so very good. good. And like when we're listening to it, I'm like, hmm. And then I find out it's Morricone. I was like, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But like just so, just perfectly matching the mood and the tone of the film. Like that dude, again, you think about his spaghetti westerns, but you're like, the dude could do anything. Mm-hmm. And again, he proves it here. And that leads us directly to ratings. For every movie, we have a specific rating system. For this one, are we going to go with those really disgustingly frustrating loaves of bread? No, because they're disgusting loaves of bread. Okay, well then let's go with Algerian flags. Because I mean, come on. Yeah. They got their independence. Let's go with the Algerian flag here. I'm going to go. Man, the more we talk through it, it's just a five. Uh, Damn, I was going to say it's a five. Because I'm like, I wouldn't change anything. I probably wouldn't rewatch this because I don't need to, but I would not be mad if like everyone goes, we got to watch this movie. Okay, I'll watch it again. Like I wouldn't be mad about it, but this movie is so good and I do feel like it's one that everyone should watch. Yeah, it's really more important. It's like, it's not a movie you necessarily need to rewatch, but it's a movie that if you, if people are like, you know, I need to watch a history movie and I've just never seen one. It's like, yo, Mm -hmm. you got to go see this. Just because not only is it so expertly done, but it is, the reason so many places view it almost as a textbook is because of how artfully crafted it is mm-hmm. and how solidly constructed it is. And it really is, you know, you can watch it in one sense as a really amazing story and, and struggle. And you can also watch it just as a fascinating document of what urban warfare is like. It's got huge historical value and huge artistic value. And that's, that's a near impossible feat for so many filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And he does it, he does it like it's nothing. <laughs> it feels so effortless in that way. But it does both of those things. I have no faults for it. The acting's incredible, especially when you know that nobody here was really trained to do any of it. Yeah. It's five. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It stands up as this incredible movie for a reason. <laughs> it's so good. I'm so happy. <laughs> it's, it's one of those movies where I'm like, I just, again, the way it was filmed, the topic it's about, I was just like, I don't know if she's really going to enjoy this or not. And it turns out it was a perfect experience for you. So that makes me happy. All right. Well, now we're not talking about war anymore. Oh, okay. Unless you want to count the war on newspaper reporters. Oh, God. We are going to watch a movie I don't know how you haven't already seen by now. Okay. All the President's Men. Yeah, I can understand why I haven't seen this before. Uh, why? Because you, you think newspapers are boring? Why? Fuck you. Eh! 
too, it's not a film that would have played on a, a local channel at night. Very true. And once I got cable, it was all about reality TV for me. Oh, yeah. So, and it's it's also not a film that I think many channels would be replaying unless it was like perhaps an election year or something. Um, and and that's just not like I know it's a very political film, so that's not something that in my youth I would have pursued. So I think you'll be surprised at the politics of this film. Sure, but I I know it has to do with politics. It does. Um, it does. So like yeah. But uh, it's it's been really interesting revisiting this one for me because I saw it very much as a political film, and now I see it more as the precursor to a more docudrama kind of film that we see hmm. more nowadays. Interesting. Mostly political because of what it dealt with and when it came out. Sure, sure. I mean, I think you're going to love this movie, so I'm excited. Okay. Plus, Robert Redford. I mean, we know I'm a, Ro- a Redford over Newman person, so yay, Robert Redford. We do have to deal with Dustin Hoffman, though. Mm-hmm. All right. This is what, his fifth time on the show? So many times. He's been on the show a lot. I mean, he's a good actor. He delivers good work. He's That's just, about all I can say for him. He's just a dick. Yep. Don't know if it's worth it. But performances are good. Anyways, so until next time. Have a good movie. Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.